Three, two, one. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. As I have alluded to earlier in the week, we are sans super producer Daniel Westoff for the remainder of the week as he is taking a well-deserved vacation. That said, we are well aware the 2023 Australian Open is just a few days away from its start. As such, we want to preview every aspect of the year's first major and I am well aware we've been a bit behind the eight ball in terms of our previewing of the first slam of the season. That said, we're going to try and jam all of our typical preview content into our draw previews over the next two days. We're going to try and answer the questions we have remaining heading into this Australian Open. Who are the dark horses? How do we expect the Americans to do? Of course, we'll also offer our favorite first round matches as well as our predictions for how we see it all shaking out. If we're going to plan to do all of those things, you know I like to have some help along the way. And thankfully, I do once again as joining me for our 2023 Australian Open Women's Singles Draw Preview is the returning champion of returning champions here on our Crack Racket Shows, a man you know best as an editorial producer for all things tennis.com. It is our dear friend, David Kane. David, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. First major of the season is upon us. How are you feeling, my friend? First of all, I have to say, I didn't know that Westhoff wouldn't be here, so I feel a little bit lied to. (laughs) Even when he's not here, I expect him in spirit, so it's going to be a bit of a strange dynamic between us, but we'll try to make it work. Much like in Judaism, you leave a chair open for the ghost of Elijah, I think it's called. Uh, We'll leave a chair open. Westhoff is always here in spirit. Like on Flavor of Love, when Flavor Play pours out the 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 rest of the champagne for the eliminated contestant. That's, well, that's what I'm doing. This, I'm pouring listen, one out. How about this, listeners? I often speak of DK's fondness for what's it called, uh, Real Housewives, and I texted David saying, "Will you do a draw preview?" I texted him like seven times because when I want something from someone, I certainly know how to pester. Um, and I ask, "Okay, well, he says draw preview." I say, "Perfect. Do you want to do men's or women's?" How does he answer the question? Not with any words, just straight up sends me a Real Housewives, I assume, gif of someone at the end of a long exchange going, hmm, women. And it was just women was the answer to his the question. Only David Kane would answer in such a fashion. It's like classic Real Housewives of Salt Lake City moment featuring one Mary M. Cosby, who is gone but not forgotten. And at the end of a long, drunken tirade between one Whitney Rose and Meredith Marks, Mary M. Cosby is watching the exchange go back go back and forth and just went, women. And that's that's how I felt that's how I felt about this draw coming in. And that's really how I feel about this draw in the wake of some of the withdrawals that we've just gotten. So you think that we were procrastinating. We actually were waiting for the the official draw. So all of these predictions will be as of today and withdrawal pendings. Uh, nothing, no changes until uh, day one. Yeah, some people would call it suspense. Some people would call it waiting till we're prepared. I call it filibustering. You successfully filibustered until the release of the draw. And again, we're going to try and fold all of our preview content into this draw preview as such. My plan for today's show, as DK knows, is to run each of you listeners through all four quarters of this women's singles draw. That means talking Iga, talking Fagula, talking Garcia, talking Onjabur sections of 
the draw will answer what we think the most entertaining first round matches are, what you need to be watching, obviously here in the United States. That means late nights, given the action is in Australia. Of course, we'll talk about the dark horse candidates. We see whether it be obviously the unseated players who can have success or those players seated maybe in the 20 range, high teens who are going to outperform their seed are the sort of players capable of making an even deeper run than their seed would suggest. Of course, we'll talk about the Americans who will go furthest and then we'll offer our predictions for how each section will unfold. And then, of course, semifinals, finals. We'll get to that at the end. With all of that said, David Kane, it'll be a long night. It's yeah. Look again, we're packing some stuff into this draw preview. Let's get into it. Sans super producer, Daniel Westoff, our 2023 Australian open women's singles draw preview. Let's just go from top to bottom. And you mentioned the big news, a late withdrawal, which we got even before we started this preview. So shout out to your filibuster. One of the only well-timed filibusters one could argue in American history. Uh, you look at the Iga quarter, quarter, excuse me. That's how you say that in English. Have to leave it in. Um, you look at Iga's quarter. I thought it was the toughest quarter in the draw. You look at just the seeds in this section. Iga, Goff, Bedosa, who was playing really well through her first few matches in Adelaide, obviously had to pull out with injury of the semifinals. We'll get back to that in a second. But Goff wins the title in Auckland week one. Collins, yes, two, three set losses to Rabakana, to whomever she lost to, despite having four match points, Kudermatova this week, but finalist last year. Ostapenko's Ostapenko. Rabakina won Wimbledon. Bozhkova was one of the rising stars of last season. And Jung Chin Wen, the talented young Chinese 20-year-old who's the 29th seed. Those eight seeds alone, that is the epitome of the depth. And obviously you have Iga for the top-end talent of what is represented right now across the WTA spectrum. But it does feel worth noting that we're already down. One of the seeds in this section is Paula Bedosa, unfortunately, is forced to pull out of the Australian Open with an injury. Now, I still think this quarter is exceptionally tough, DK. I love this section. Where do you, again, I, I know you haven't looked too deep into all of the seeds, but what's your first reaction to this quarter of the draw? First of all, I have absolutely looked at this draw. I've seen it multiple times. I have many <laughs> yeah. opinions on it. And you listed all those seeds, and that's to say nothing of the unseated player that Ike Sviantek is playing in the first round, who is uh, Yulia, Yulia Niemeyer, who took her to three sets at the U.S. Open and seemed very much on the precipice of beating Ika at the Open last summer, plays the kind of game that could get Ika on the back foot, takes the time away from the shots that, you know, the timing that Ika needs to get those shots around and get, you know, the spin that she wants. So that's... It's a reason why when the Tennis.com team came together when the draw came out, very few of us, I think only one of us picked Iga to win the title. It feels like one of those, wow. you know, conversely, basically everybody's in agreement on the men's side. And I think you can guess that we all think it's going to be, I'm kidding, it's going to be Novak Djokovic uh, on the men's side. But on the women's, I think this as dominant as Iga has been, the combination of the draw, perhaps some of the, you know, hangover from the United Cup and the way that that ended for her makes people, I think, have a bit of pause for how much can Iga keep this momentum going on the Grand Slam stage. She's certainly the best player on tour right now, but is going to have to really put down quite an effort to make it through seven matches and win a fourth major and get herself three quarters of the way to the career slam. No, you're absolutely correct. And by the way, I knew when you were saying it's unanimous pick on the men's side for tennis.com, I knew there was going to be a punchline at the end with the name you were going to say. And 
I every fiber of my being thought you were going to say Casparud, but you never finished the joke, and so we know that's where your mind was. It was a, it was a Pete Bodo uh, uh, upsetting the apple cart with the Stefano Tsitsipas, very reminiscent of that uh, image macro of who was the toughest opponent you've ever played, yeah. and all the women pick Serena except for Sharapova. That was so it's a Tsitsipas moment right there. No, I, I'm glad you bring up that Sviantec Nehemiah match because as you look at the most entertaining matches in this section. I do think that's a good place to start. Nehemiah, two second weeks in uh, Wimbledon and the U.S. Open, the last two majors of the 2022 season. She also just has the sort of weapons you need when you're taking on an Iga, who obviously she's the betting favorite, plus 240. I don't want to spoil my pick, but she's obviously in the conversation. She was my number one contender when we did that podcast earlier in the week. I mean, she won 37 matches in a row last year. She won the U.S. Open despite really playing only two sets of good tennis. And look, she's going to get tested right away as you look at this draw. She's got Nehemiah in that first-round match. Again, a player with serious weapons on the rise. You look elsewhere in the section, whether it's Bozhkova or Andrescu. And by the way, Andrescu-Bozhkova is a fascinating first-round match because if Bianca wins that, now she's playing well. Now she's earned a tough physical matchup. Maybe she has some confidence going into her head-to-head against Iga, a potential third-round match there. And then again, it's the type of seed you see in this section. Rybakina, Collins, Chinwen, who obviously took her to three at the French Open. You know, if she gets Goff in the quarterfinal, that might A, be the easiest match she's seen in a while, and B, yes, that's the ideal matchup, but that wouldn't be until a hypothetical quarter it's that there are a lot of big hitters, and that's what you need to be to beat Iga. And even if it's not Andrescu, if it's just Rubakina or just Ostapenko or even just Nehemiah here in round one, there are some options to take out Iga in this section. That's what makes it so interesting. That's why it'll be fascinating to see her form. That said, like, uh, we haven't talked about this, so I want to ask you, how much do you read into the Pagula 2-2 two and two loss in Sydney? Because truth be told, it meant nothing to me. It meant a lot for Pagula, it meant nothing in my perspective on Iga. I don't know how much it made me think of Pagula's chances in terms of the Australian Open. I'm still very much smarting from how she did or did not, in fact, perform at the WTA Finals, going 0-6 in singles and doubles. And she's a player who really hit a phenomenal plateau, but a plateau in 2022. And you start to wonder if this is the kind of moment where Pagula continues to push forward and breaks through more or starts to recede. So this was certainly a must-win match for Pagula to really kind of keep that momentum going or reset that momentum going in her favor. From the score or the result, I don't know if I would have taken so much from it, but I take the emotional reaction that Iga had. It makes me think that she is starting this year under a lot of emotional pressure to replicate what she did in 2022. And then you combine that moment with now the Bedosa withdrawal, and you're starting to consider that this could potentially be a very strange 2023 Australian Open because this is the first Australian Open that I can remember where it feels like most of the game's top players did not have an extended offseason. You know, typically, they take weeks off. They do their preseason. There was a lot of exhibition matches, a lot of exhibition tournaments happening. Bedosa and Sviantec both took part in that, and I know they both felt that they took time off. But you started to hear, you know, even at the end of last year, Casper Ruud wanting to postpone his preseason to February. You know, these players are not coming in January fresh the way that they're used to. And so you wonder if the that combination of maybe being a little bit fatigued physically, a little fatigued mentally, 
in a section where she's really going to have to hit the ground running. It's sort of reminiscent of like a 2023 version of what Serena Williams had to do in Australia in 2017, when I think she got like Benchich, Safarova back-to-back just to start the tournament. She's going to have to get, you know, get past Niemeyer, potentially get past an Andreescu or Buskova just to make the second week. And then waiting for her there could be at Rubakina or a Collins, both of whom are not going to be awed by the situation. They're two Grand Slam finalists slash champions. This is potentially going to be Iga's toughest slam draw yet if she's going to go if she's going to win it so it's if this if she does it's certainly going to be a big feather in her cap in terms of what this means for her legacy but from the outset it's going to be a a heck of a challenge fair you look at some of the other first round matches against Sviantek Nehemiah one you should watch even though it's round number one interest you Boshkova BB has played some weird matches to start this 2023 season. Boshkova straight set loss in the quarters, I believe, to Blinkova over in Auckland. But she got a good first-round win over a Christian, who I thought was playing well. Again, Boshkova is just so fast. She's going to test BB. That match has three sets written all over it. I think from a tennis perspective, that's my favorite. But the other ones I'd point to, Ostapenko Yastremska, which I know you have thoughts on. Rabakina Cochiaretto, Cochiaretto in the final of of Hobart, excuse me, today. The 21-year-old Italian has freaking weapons. Like, she can spike the ball. And she's got a good first step. She beats you to the spot. She absorbs pace well. I think Rabakina's pace will be too much. And by the way, Rabakina, 10-1 in her last 11 slam first-round matches. That one loss obviously coming at the U.S. Open uh, back in September. I think that match is fun. Uh, and then I think Goff Sinyakova because Sinyakova has played really well over the course of the past few months. Now Goff's three and one in the career head to head. But again, Andrescu Boshkova, Rabakina Kochiaretto, Ostapenko Yastremska, Goff Sinyakova. Those are all first round matches, DK. Take that wherever you want to go. Which of those is most compelling to you? And yet, no mention of Buxalis. I mean, like, it just feels, I mean, given some of the first round matches. Given some of the first round matches that you mentioned, feels unfair that that's going to be one between the two qualifiers. I mean, obviously, Yastremska, Ostapenko. I mean, as just someone who loves pure ball striking, hopefully, if they can get the ball in the court for any modicum of time, it's going to be a fun one. Definitely agree on Cochiretto. Got to watch her play qualifying at the US Open last summer, really took the ball out of Whitney Oswegway's hand for whatever that means, but certainly has like good pace, good technique, was impressive to watch. I, yeah, I definitely think golf has it over Sinyachkova. It feels like one of those must-win matches to kind of keep the momentum going for golf. Is she a consistent top eight player? And does she want, how how much does she want to erase how she ended the 2022 season with just a good solid slam win under her, slam match win under her belt? It's going to be important for her. But this is a really fun quarter and it's really, really hard to pick a winner out of it. Yeah, I'm excited to watch, uh, certainly. And, you know, again, as I look at this quarter, I think about the dark horse contenders. Who are the players who might exceed expectations? Who are the seeds who might even excel past what we expect of them right now? From an unseeded perspective, if Cochiretto stays hot, you know, again, Rabakina loses a three-set match. She's played a bunch of three-setters to start this 2023 season. The serve can run hot and cold. Cochiretto has some weapons to make Rabakina uncomfortable, although I just think the pace of Rabakina wins out there. But Cochiretto is one I have circled. Andrescu, Sinyatrova, all unseeded players who I think, if they can get through their first-round match, you know, they all have tough ones, but now the draw certainly opens up for them. Of those three, you have faith in any to make a run? 
Carolina Mukhova, an yeah, <laughs> Australian sure. Open semifinalist from a couple of years ago. Remember her? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she gets uh, Lesia Sarenko in the first round. I would expect Mukhova to great, figure though. that one out. Sarenko has been really dominant in qualies, but obviously just for through, through years of injury, I don't know how much the body can hold up four straight matches in a row. I mean, Kalinskaya is one who's been able to pull off some big wins in the past, beat Sloan Stevens at the US Open a couple of years ago. I mean, if we're looking at the unseated player in which I have the most confidence, ooh, that's that's an interesting one. I mean, I guess you would have to say from uh, history, it would be a Bianca Andreescu just because, I mean, it was, it was interesting to do a double take and realize that Andreescu was not the seated player in that matchup. It's really a full circle encounter for BB who had to play Buskov at the 2019 French Open and ended up pulling out of that uh, second round after beating Buskova in three sets. So that's it's been an interesting matchup for them in the past. I mean, the seeds are just so strong in this section that it's hard to pick, you know, someone who's really going to upset the apple cart because you have to think if someone's going to make the quarters, it'll be who, who is in Svantec, it'll be a Rybakina, a Collins, um, perhaps even a Jung Chin Wen who's going to be seated at a slam for the first time in her career. I mean, that's just going to be that's a big moment for her. If she can make the quarterfinals here, that's it's going to be a big coming out party for her. Well, I'm glad you bring her up because that's the next brand of dark horse I want to turn to. Jung Chin Wen could make the quarterfinals of this event. Jung Chin Wen could, could win the win tournament. The I mean, let's yeah, be honest. Could she not? I mean, you look for Jung Chin Wen, uh, first round Delma Golfi. Her seat is Coco Golf. You just wonder if the power tennis Jung Chin Wen is capable of playing. That's the exact sort of weaponry you need to take on. Coco Goff exposed that forehand, which while improving is still ultimately a liability for her. You look for Chin Wen, 38 and 20 over the course of the last 52 weeks. Last year, she qualified for the Australian Open main draw, her first main draw uh, at a slam. She gets second round there, fourth round Roland Garros, third round Wimbledon, third round U.S. Open. Again, she's seated at this slam. And I just do wonder, you look at her record against top 20 players last year. She went seven and six overall against the top 20. That's real results. And we both think she's one of the up and coming tier one talents we have on the WTA tour right now. Maybe not to beat Andrescu, but she can, she, she can get to the second week, right? Like if it's her versus Goff, who are you backing there? Between Goff and Jung? Yeah. I mean... Coco has ha- ha- found a way of winning these big slam matches in the past. At the same time, Jung has such better technique and Goff has not always necessarily, you know, pull. I mean, when she was up against Anissimova at Wimbledon, for example, against Garcia at the U.S. Open, you know, we're starting to see perhaps a bit of a ceiling. But at the same time, Goff has so much more experience than a Jung Chin win at this level that maybe that'll push her over the finish line. But if we, you know, in terms of long term success, I would give the up to to Jung on that one. And yeah, if she beats golf, then she would only have to, the highest ranked opponent. She'd have to play in the fourth round would be Ostapenko in that section of the draw. And, you know, who has any confidence that anyway, I mean, in a section anchored by Ostapenko, I'd give as much, you know, of a shot to Katie McNally to make the, the fourth sure. round as Ostapenko, just based on her sort of inconsistencies. But yeah, I think that's going to be a really fun third round if we can get it, because I don't really have much confidence in Bernardo Pera or even in Emirato Kanu to upset that one. And yeah. The other happening. The other fascinating one we haven't talked about, Radakanu, who's a good mention also in this quarter, but Danielle Collins, the defending finalist, who she's played really good matches. Again, two three-set losses, but she had four match points against Kuder Matova. I thought she played really well in Adelaide 1 as well. She's hitting the ball well. She's had some warm-ups. She's going to get some warm-ups if you look at the draw. Kalinskaya, Mukova in round number two could be tricky if she's playing her best, but... 
again, when Collins plays her best, her ability to move that ball around the court is simply stunning. Who do you like more in this section as we look at the best Americans, Collins or Goff? And how far do they get? I mean, again, if you go into technique, I'd have to pick Collins over Goff. But I think Goff has had more momentum over the last couple of months. It makes me think that Goff would do would go farther. They both have, I guess, an equally good draw to the third round. But also Rabakina over Jung. It's really tricky who I think is going to make that has a better shot of making the second week because obviously Rabakina has her experience. Jung Chinwen has all the potential and the momentum of just being that young gun. So it's hopefully both of them we get uh, third rounds between Rabakina Collins and Jung and Goff. I mean, in in an era where the seeds aren't always holding, we would I would really like to see the seeds hold here because I would like to see these exact matchups. Yeah, Coco Goff, 25-1 and one against opponents ranked outside the top 50 over her last 52 weeks. 34-8 and eight against opponents ranked outside the top 20. 5-13 and 13 against top 20 opponents. Obviously, if you have the significant weapon, the non-negotiable as Junction Wen does, as Daniel Collins does, you can still put that forehand under pressure. That said, Goff won in Auckland. She didn't drop a set. She cleaned up. The forehand looked a little stronger. The depth, the pace... Even though it wasn't under pressure, it did look better. It looked more consistent. Again, with that in mind, DK, section number one, who makes the quarterfinals? Who advances out of this Ika quarter? I'll be boring to start and say that Ika ultimately figures it out because I think having conquered the U.S. Open, which I think nobody expected her to have a flying shot of of winning that tournament, uh, she overcame all those odds. You know, I, I tend to think that the start of the season – you have to kind of give the the nod to the world number one there. I would pick her. And I think I might pick Goff. I get the fact that she won Auckland Uh-oh. has that momentum behind her. And then obviously I think Ega makes the semis out of that one because I think just that's history at this point. I don't like this. We now have the same prediction, even though yours was on the fly and mine was written down. I have Ego over Goff, thus ensuring we may get Ego right, but that is tough for Coco we- Goff. You didn't pick Liz Bindal. I'm surprised I just think you didn't it's try to really be, a, be like. I just think it's going to be a huge year for Goff. I think this is the year where she, second week of every slam. That would be my prediction for Coco Goff this season. She just beats who she's supposed to beat. And again, that Jung Chin Wen, she's going to need to play her best tennis. But I need to see Chin Wen do it at a slam. She's come close a couple of times. I need to see her do it before I can really believe in it. Obviously, she beat Halep at Roland Garros last year, but I need to see it with some pressure on her. Um, I'm going to take Goff over, uh, to make that quarter. I'm going to take Sviantek over Goff because that's just a matchup nightmare. And that's our look, we agree, on quarter number one. Let's move on now to quarter number two, a quarter I have listed as a funky quarter. And this is the Pagula quarter of the draw. Your seeds, Jessica Pagula, the three seed, Sakari the six, Keys the 10, Kvitova 15, Krachikova 20, Azarenka 24, Anisimova 28, Teichman 32, a lot of hot and cold in this section. We know how good Keys can be when she's on, and she is 5-0 and so far in Australia. But how hot will she be for the course of the next two weeks? Kvitova, obviously, when she plays her best, the lefty is still a top-10 server on the WTA Tour. But will she be at her best? It's a good question to ask. How healthy is Anisimova? Can Azarenka keep the pace up? How real was Jessica Pagula's run in Sydney? It's a lot to be entertained by. I think this quarter gets funky. David Kane and my question to you, your first reaction to the seats. It's definitely not the same as the first quarter. It definitely feels like there's a bit of movability and flow. 
uh, between the seeds and unseeded players. Um, definitely looking less at the high seeds in this one, as opposed to the last one. I, I look at, you know, that Endesimova, Krejcikova back-to-back, but, you know, on opposite ends, you feel like those are the ones who probably have the best shot of really getting on a bit of a run here. I mean, you think of where Krejcikova was a year ago in Australia, she seemed like a pretty heavy favorite to potentially win the title. And then it kind of all fell apart with the necklace and, you know, lost to Maddie Keys, who she could potentially play again in the quarters if they both make it that far. And the way the Krejcikova ended the season, both in singles, beating Svantec and Ostrava, making the doubles final in Fort Worth. It feels like there's some goodwill, some good momentum on her side. She's definitely the name that I'm looking at because again, I think Pagula, unlike Krejcikova, so far has a bit of a ceiling. You know, this is someone who's made consistent quarterfinals and this is going to be her moment. And she's in a tricky section with a Brenda Frevatova, a Polina Kudemetova, a Marta Kostiuk and Amanda Nismova, some younger players who could potentially kind of get under her skin and upset that apple cart there. So, so with that said, yeah, she's not looking as strong to me as maybe even an Iga, even though there's probably tougher opposition for Iga. There's some trickier opposition for Pagula. Well, I thought Krejcikova was going to be one of my dark horses, but then she lost in straight sets to Kasakina in. Eh. Yeah, but I just, I don't know. I just, to be a dark horse, she's got to win that match, not lose it in straight sets in the fashion that she did. I mean, Keys is the fascinating one to me because Keys looks in form. She looks fit. If you watch her United Cup matches, yes, the the strength of schedule was not the greatest, but all Madison Keys ever needs to be is fit and confident. When she's those two things, the results usually come. Um, you know, again, we'll see her get to the second week. David Kane's making a face at me. I'm not saying she's going to win the day. I mean, it is 10 o'clock at night, my my dear fan, mm-hmm. and I'm getting hyped up about Madison Keys' chances at a slam. Look, I love her. If she's I get phenomenal. Hyped up, she's I'm so nice. She's interesting. Yeah, but. To what end? Well, <laughs> to what end? So, again, I just don't know how healthy Anisimova is. She got worn down by the end of her three-set match. She lost – who did she lose to? Against Haddad Maya. Um, Teichman, you never know what you're going to get. Talk about high ceiling, low floor, and Teichman. Azarenka looked fit as a fiddle That's her first yeah, two weeks. That's the one I'm looking at in that one. If, if that's yeah. a, This is a big make-or-break moment for Vika, who has had a lot of false starts over the last couple of years. Well, if she can finally get a deep run at a slam after the, the near miss at the U.S. Open a couple of years ago, like this is make-or-break for her, for sure. As Ben Rothenberg likes to say, there are only two defend or two past Australian Open women's champions in this draw, and they're both play in the first round as Vika is going to take on 2020 Australian Open champion Sonia Kennan, who I think has looked good. Like I, I'm just gonna say it. She's played top fifty tennis. Kochi Areto played really well in her three set win in the semifinals, and Kennan played really well in that four and four match against Coco Goff. And I understand for a former world number four, two time slam finalist, one time slam champion, the Benchmark is not be a top 50 player. Yeah, top 50 tennis sounds like a dig, ladies but and gentlemen. But guess what? No, when on. you have to be a t- to get to top 10, you have to play top 50. And Kennan is playing top 50 tennis again. Now, here's the thing. Azarenka looked so fit. And I got the chance to call her Chin-Wen match. I got the chance to call, just be there for a bunch of her matches in person through these first two weeks. She does look healthy. She is serving well. Again, she has weapons that's going to put Kennan under real stress. That match is fascinating to me because if Azarenka wins like a two and two score, to me, that's indicative of an Azarenka who can win this damn thing. And like that to me is the most entertaining round one match in this section. Do you agree? Well, <laughs> I mean, it's entertaining maybe for the wrong reasons. If if sure. Fika really gets on top of Kennan, who I think, you know, or it's probably- the Kennan 
comeback match. She wins uh, this. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I if, if it happens, it happens. But I think based on like, I don't think you could find like a worse foil for Kenan right now. Someone who is like experienced, like all the gamut and it comes back, you know, more mature and world weary for it. Kenan is still in it. Like, you know, sure. Azarenk has gone through it. And so I think that's going to give her an inherent mental advantage over Kenan. I mean, who notoriously was just so overwhelmed by the prospect of just defending a slam title that she just, you know, allowed herself to get totally steamrolled by Kaya Kanepi two years ago. I mean, just one of the stories, you know, that we're going to look back on in a couple of years, how someone sort of just manifested this collapse after being one of the top five players in the world with a bullet, you know, end of 2020 with a, with a second slam final and was, no one was putting that much pressure on in spite of that to do that well. And yet she really just, again, manifested this, disaster and she's still not out of it i mean hopefully like you said she's on her way back from to top 50 tennis because for a while she was playing top 500 tennis so i guess that's that in of itself is an improvement but that's definitely the one the first match that i'm really looking at also in nisimova costume because i have taste and that's well, one of the ones i'm gonna be looking that's at that's also sure. on my list explain why i mean because it's just it's young guns man we like watching the young guns and it's just gonna be a fun one i mean this is these are two players who you we've been hyping up for the last several years both had tremendous junior success both can go pretty deep at a slam I obviously you know based on what Anissa was able to do at Wimbledon last year what she did at the French Open a couple of years ago feels like this is the prime of her career and what she can do with that and obviously Kostyuk trying to work her way back obviously been dealing with a lot of external stressors and and pressure with 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 what is going on in Ukraine but you know maybe has a bit of a boost a mental boost just signed a really lucrative Wilson deal that maybe will give her a bit of pep in her steps so I think that it's going to be a fun one for them. And it's going to be a good contrast. It's going to be Anissimo's power versus Kostyuk's variety. That's It's kind of got a little bit of everything for everybody. Yeah. I, I also think Kostyuk has some confidence coming off of that semifinal in Adelaide through the first week of the season. And, you know, again, Anisimova was striking the ball really well against Tadadmaya. She did not look to be moving her best. And you're going to have to because Kostyuk she is, ever? Yeah. Well, Kostyuk's an Andrescu sort of athlete where it's just like she's springy. Good first step fluid has explosive ground strokes as well those two are my top two Anisimova Kostyuk Azarenka Kenin favorite two in this section I also have Fruvertova still on the goat list taking on Sasnovich that's a good litmus test to see how far her game has progressed Krachikova taking on the 16 year old Sarah how do you say her last name B-E-J-L-E-K I think it's, I think it's Balik yeah, I, I agree. Like, I, think I think the J it's is like a... Yeah, I think she takes on Balik again, 16-year-old slam debut, came through qualifying. That's going to be really fun. Watch her beat Moldenovich last summer at the U.S. Open. Yeah, the other one I would throw at you, Diane Schneider taking on Kutsova. Schneider's supposed to start at NC State this January. She's going to be top 100 if she wins that match. And she's yeah, I was going to say, she's a little bit of... She's, she's like a combination of both of us. She's Russian yeah. and a potential college player. So, like, it's kind of like Strike our zone. love child. Strike zone for this podcast, <laughs> baby. Um, like, okay, and this gets into Dark Horse contenders. She can win this match. And I'm not saying she can do that much damage because you look for Diane Schneider in this section of the draw. Again... Like you, you start to do some projecting. She would run into in her second round match potentially Maria Sakari, but like I'm just telling you, Schneider's really freaking good. And like, should a miracle occur? First of all, she wins her first round match. I don't know. I wonder how I could ask him how NC State women's tennis head coach Simon Earnshaw felt when Schneider didn't draw Sakari but drew Kutsova and said he wasn't like oh, like. Maybe she loses first round. I can convince her she's not quite ready and she'll give me one semester. 
she wins a first round match and she's a 51.7% favorite on tennis abstract to do so, then she's going to be top 100. Then she's not probably going to school. Um, like, I, I think she's someone to keep your eye on. Uh, I think Ken and her costume, if either of them can get through their first round matches against seed, then you have to keep your eye on both of them moving forward. Sasnovich versus Pagula, two players who are pretty good at everything. I think that could be a fun second round match, but I don't know if I see an unseeded dark horse in this section other than a Kenan or a Kostyuk. Do you? I mean, maybe a Brenda Fervatova. I mean, you kind of see like based on the way the Fervatova sisters have been slowly encroaching on the women's space. If she's the second round pick for Jesse Pagula, maybe Pagula gets a little freaked out playing someone that young, you know, and doesn't really know how to handle the occasion. And suddenly it's Brenda looking like the better Fervatova sister after uh, Linda getting all the hype last year. I mean, yeah, again, it feels like, I mean, it's among the unseeded players. I mean, again, you know, Coco Vandaway was the semifinalist here a couple of years ago too. I mean, it's, it's a strange draw littered with some, a lot of ghosts of Christmas past. How can, you know, can Coco get, you know, back on the horse a little bit and, you know, gets a potential second round against Petra Kvitova and Allison Van Oikbank. A lot of big hitters in that little uh, foursome with Anne, Anne Helena Kalina trying to break up the uh, the monotony there. But um, yeah, it's, it looks like it, I would think it's going to be between two seeds, which again, which would be again, great for the women's game. If we could just start getting some more seeds at the the, the back end of these tournaments, maybe it's wishful thinking. We'll end up with a, with a Balik uh, Kutsova <laughs> quarterfinal and wonder what, how it all went wrong. Yeah, no, I mean, again, Vika, we talked about earlier. She's a seed at 24. Keys is her immediate seed, then potentially Sakari, if things hold in the uh, round of 16. She would face Pagula in the quarterfinals. She's the one who I could see really uh, outdoing expectations from a seed perspective and making a second week run because I know she lost three set matches to Naskova and Kudermatova, but she played well in all the matches that she's played so far this year. And when she's been healthy, she's winning 70% of her matches over the course of the past two years. But you know who I think is going to go furthest in this section? I think it's going to be a couple of Americans. I think we're going to see the, the United Cup bump continue to persist. I think we're going to get a Pagula versus Keys quarterfinal match here because again it's an eye test thing i know it wasn't the toughest sample size i know she lost the set to katie swan but madison keys looked like she had it again the same way she looked the first month of the season last year where she won a title made the semis of australia went 11 and 2 overall and you felt it in that moment too where just from an eye test perspective it felt like keys was in that my weapons are just going to overwhelm anyone i play and i'm moving well enough to utilize them mode well, not and everyone. Saw, well, except for Barty. Um, and I saw that in week number I, – I saw that in week number one from her. And Pagula just makes a living off beating who she's supposed to beat. And given the uncertainty in this section, uncertainty is where Jessica Pagula thrives. Now I ultimately think Pagula makes the semifinals, and I know that's very boring, one seed and three seed through to the semifinals. But I think these two Americans got a really good draw. I think both of them are going to get through that draw. And I think Pagula, in the end, I just trust a little bit more than I do Keys. I'll zag a little. I'll say it'll be an Isimova Azarenka. I just think Ooh. that this is. You again, think Isimova is healthy enough? I think if she can get on a roll, you know, it, when she's playing her best, she doesn't have to move that much. So I think the main thing with her is it, how well is she striking the ball? And if she's striking that backhand well, she has some great memories here from last year, you know, kind of ran out of gas after that long match against Naomi Osaka. 
was one of uh, Ash Barty's multiple American scalps. Just one of the, one of the strangest runs to a, to a Grand Slam that I can remember in Isamova, Pagula, Keys, and then Collins in the final. I mean, just it won her a slam, Ash Barty, <laughs> RIP, or um, I guess not RIP because she's, you know, doing great. I actually heard she was on the practice court with Iga. Uh, the three of them, Iga, Ash, and the baby, uh, yeah, which sure. is forthcoming. Um, but yeah, but I think it's a really make or break year for Azarenka. I have no confidence in in Keys or Sakari, quite frankly. I just think that you know, if we're looking at among those three players, Azarenka is the one that's made multiple slam finals. And this is if she's fit and confident and healthy, that should trump, you know, weapons and just sort of raw athleticism that Keys and Sakari bring respectively. I think I'd want to see a match a quarterfinal match of two players who I think could reasonably win the title. And if it's Pagula or Keys, I would pick the, either of them to lose in the semis. So uh, yeah. hopefully it's it's an Isimova as a ranker or some more convincing combination thereof. Well, the other name I throw out is 2019 Australian Open finalist Petra Kvitova, who... Uh, she feels like a dark horse. She beat Pagula in the United Cup. She got a good win, uh, you know, two good wins over Rubacano, over Chin Wen in Adelaide before a straight set loss to Kasatkina, which again, to me, kind of disqualifies her the same way it did Krejcikova from superior dark horse status. Starting to say a little bit about how you feel about Kasatkina, that all these losses are. It's like, you can't <laughs> lose to her if you want to be a slam contender, because like, yeah. she's sort of that litmus test, that gateway into the top 15 with all the different things she can do. She's a gateway drug. Yeah, I just like, again, it's a tough test for Pagula. Nisimova, Kavitova, then potentially Keys. That's a lot of power tennis, three players hypothetically, who if they're hot on the right day, they could just overwhelm her with the weapons and the firepower that they bring. We haven't mentioned Sakari at all, who doesn't have that tough of a draw. Yua Yuan in round number one. Teichman, who runs very hot and cold. She could lose to Harriet Dart round number one, if she, let alone, you know, if she gets to the third round, then maybe she's dangerous because we know how good she can be when she's playing her best. Still no confidence in Sakari at this point for you, DK? I mean, it is a very soft draw for Sakari. Though again, the the more I look at that Schneider pick in the in the in coming out of qualies, it does feel like one of those moments, right? Like mm-hmm. she was supposed to go to college and she gets a top ten win. I mean, yeah. obviously the way Sakari ended the year was certainly better than much of the middle. <laughs> you know, got you know went three and zero in round robin play, but then you know got crushed by Garcia in the semis. I mean, it's just it's always six of one, half a dozen of the other with uh with Sakari, and, and again playing at a slam having to be a top eight seed, you know, in a section that's going to be a lot of attention on her. Maybe she'd almost be better off in an ego section with just a lot of names and feel like, okay, I have to like, you know, I can grind these players here. There might not be that same, you know, distraction for her. I mean, she's certainly overdue for a deep slam run. It's been a while for her. And if it doesn't happen out of this draw, it's going to be rough to predict it happening again elsewhere. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't think she played bad at United Cup. I don't think she played great. Let me ask you this. If you're NC State head coach Simon Earnshaw, Schneider wins her first round match. She plays Sakari. Are you A, rooting for Sakari unequivocally because you want Schneider to come to your team? B, are you rooting for Schneider even though you know it's probably guarantees that she's going to leave? Or, you know, again, C, are you rooting for Sakari feeling a little guilty about it, but also knowing Schneider because she won her first round match is probably gone. There is, I, I recall watching a video about Diana Schneider getting recruited where they were saying she, she seemed too good for college yeah. and and should be playing Lo pros anyway. So yeah, if it happens, then I don't know if they'll be that shocked about it. I mean, I yeah. guess if you're, you root for if her anyways, col- if you're a college coach, maybe you're, you're crushed. Like, mm. 
you know, maybe you're hoping that things go a certain way, but I don't, it feels like maybe one of those, you know, she's just slowly gathering momentum. Hasn't really, I don't think she was really one of the, the Russian, the young Russians in that junior cohort that was getting most of the attention. She was playing a lot of doubles, wasn't really getting the single success, but it's slowly starting to come together. And, you know, this, this feels like a bit of a sea change at this point with some of these players, whether it's Frevatova, whether it's Schneider, players getting into these main draws, potentially scoring some upsets. This is certainly a very, it's not the densest top eight that we've seen in a while. I would, I would, or I would venture to say it's a little bit on the soft side. So if not now, and if not against these players, when? So I think uh, they definitely want to take the advantages when they can. I also wanted to give a shout out against Kretschkova. I feel like I really got on the Anisimova train prematurely. I started with Kretschkova and then like kind of got distracted by Anisimova. I mean, I think honestly, maybe Kretschkova even has the better draw than Anisimova. At least she wouldn't have to be Kostyuk and Pagula. Um, Kretschkova would just really have to be Petra, realistically. I mean, it's sort of like a better section for her so it's a it's a tie for me who i think whether it's gonna be krejcikova or nisimova I'll, I'll make that decision later when we pick our semifinalists i suppose no, you, you gotta make it now because who's uh, winning out of this quarter someone's uh, beating azarenka who someone's beating azarenka okay azarenka is gonna be, I, I would be confident uh, i think krejcikova would beat azarenka so i'll say krejcikova over azarenka yeah lock it in yeah final and- answer it is now officially locked. Krejcikova over Azarenka. David Kane's pick in the second quarter. Again, I have Pagula. See you in the semifinals, Olivia Gadecki. <laughs> yes. With that said, let's get to the third quarter of the draw. Fourth seed, Caroline Garcia's quarter. A section I have branded in my notes as the easiest quarter of the draw. And in this section, you have Garcia, Kazakina, Kudermatova, Kontave, Alexandrova, Jung Shui, Irina Camilla Begu, and Karolina Pliskova. Ouch. This, this is your easiest section of the draw. And because of that, I think this is the one where something weird happens, and it's not just going to be a Caroline Garcia coronation. That said, on paper, convince me why this doesn't con- turn into a Caroline Garcia coronation. Because of Layla Fernandez. Oh, <laughs> She's my pick to make it out of this section, to be honest. She's my unseated some... sleeper on tennis.com. I mean, this is prime fodder for if Layla Fernandez is healthy and confident she's got crazy she's got Cornet in the first round who you know it's going to be probably on a decent cork she made the quarters last year she's going to get Garcia a slam you know a slam contender the top four seed probably in another big court you know someone she could sort of you know hit through you know uh counterpunch her way out of if she can get a tough win over Cornet who's not going to give her a lot of power she could potentially bundle Garcia out of this it's going to be a huge test for Garcia's mental improvements that she can make it out of this uh, very tricky um, uh, third round section with a Fernandez, even a Sai Sai Jung, an, an inform slash resurgent arena, Camilla Begu, who's a top 32 seed again, wacky. Who thought that was ever going to happen? She's been like languishing out of the top 80 top hundred for a long time, you know, back in the top 30. Good for her. Um, and then, if Garcia, if it's not Garcia, I do think it'll be Fernandez who makes it out because I don't, I don't really have much confidence in Contavite um, and any of the unseated players who are also in this section. Who are, who it are feels also like here. and Kudermatova are just destined to be tied together in everything that they do. It's like, just of the, course, the, they're in the same section. The narrative bane of my existence. Like, of yeah, course, that means one of them will make the quarters because they'll, they're both here. <laughs> the two most underappreciated players on the WTA tour who just put forward quarter after quarter final result, and David just has no respect for their games. I mean, look, 
Garcia looked good. Like the three set loss to Benchich was top 20 tennis. It was first strike, front foot. Both of them had to be the aggressor. Both of them had to play their best to win points. Mission accomplished for Garcia in her first two weeks of the season. You look at the draw for the number four seed again, fairly open early on. Plays a qualifier, Catherine Sabov, in round number one. Now the Fernandez round number two or Corneg is where things get interesting. But again, after that, of the seeds, she certainly won the lottery of who's available. That said, you look at the most entertaining first round matches. There are a bunch of them, given the uncertainty in the rest of this section. You know, Fernandez, Cornet. Obviously, DK just made the pitch for her there. I didn't think she looked great in her loss to Bonaventure in Auckland, but I, I, I trust your judgment. Pliskova versus Wang Shiyu is fun. Diane Perry, former World Junior number one, taking on Taylor Townsend. Love that. Conteve, tricky test in Julia Graber, who's been really solid at lower levels over the course of the past six months. Kunermatova versus rock-solid Zanevska. Alexandrova versus the very much informed Bonaventure. I mean, again... Fernandez Cornet takes the case there, cake there, DK. That's again a testament to this section. But and this will be probably the one we go through quickest. But Perry Townsend's pretty fun to me. I mean, I can't believe you basically one hander. You basically listed every first round match except Kristea Potensiva, and I'm like a little offended because I feel like that's sort of the obvious first round. I mean, I think they played a very wacky, very crazy match. I think in Nuremberg on clay, someone of the, one of those like either post Roland Garros or immediately pre Roland Garros clay tournaments in 2013, 2014. And it was like getting dark and Potensiva was, the, I think it's one of the famous gifts where she's acting like she can't see because it's so dark out. Um, even though she was down, I think four, one of the third, and she's like wanted, and then she wanted to take a medical timeout. She was trying to tie her shoes. She was trying to do everything to get the place suspended for darkness. So I, I'm sure Serana Garcia loves her. So I'm, I'm sure they're looking forward to playing in that first round. Obviously I'd love to see what Carolina Pushkova could do. I mean, she was looking great at the U S open really kind of pulling herself together, but just has not been able to find the consistency since missing the start of last year due to injury. It just feels like one of those unfortunate, um, twists in the sort of career where she's was a top 10 top 12 player for such a long time. And this is sort of really upset that, rhythm and it's hard to rebuild when you when you have that time off but um certainly has probably the most experience of anyone in that section certainly compared to a kasaki or even a kudermatova uh, of going deep at a slam so you definitely want to look at how well she's playing and how she'll fare in a potential third round against kasaki <laughs> the proverbial litmus test of the australian open no, a hundred percent. And again, looking for dark horses in this section is tough now fernandez is the obvious one and you've already discussed her Winner of Perry Townsend may be a little bit interesting, depending on who you are. Outside of that, Putensva Kirstea, as you mentioned, that's fun too. But I don't know. Like, again, it's it's an interesting section. I don't think we're going to see a lot of American success in this one. You have only one American, Katie Bali, and that's who's in this section. The qualifier takes on Rodina, then the winner of Kudermatova's and Nevska. Taylor Townsend also in this section taking on Diane Perry. So maybe... There's a shot there with Perry as the winner would take the always hot and cold Alexandrova. But again, from a seed perspective, Pliskova can run hot. You made the case there. I mean, Alexandrova runs really hot and cold, right? When she's good, that line drive power tennis she can play looks extraordinary. When she's bad, boy, are, do things go awry. Of the non-Garcia, Kasakina, Kudramatova top 10 seeds, who do you like most? It'd be Pushkiva. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the that's the one. I mean, this is going to be a big moment for Kudermatova. I mean, she certainly put down a lot of you know low stakes 
milestones that make you think she's capable of doing this on a big stage, but it has not happened yet. And so I'm getting impatient. I would argue I'm already impatient. The fact that it hasn't happened yet and the fact that she's a top 10 seed with what feels like not a lot under her belt to kind of justify that. But, you know, she only can beat the players in front of her. She needs a signature win. She needs a signature result. A Grand Slam semifinal would be fantastic if she could do it. You know, of course, it would be in this kind of a section where it wouldn't be a tremendous lift for her to do it, but she's certainly got the weapons. So it's, it's, it feels overdue, but I would probably look to Pliskova before I looked at Kudamatova just based off of history and experience. Well, it's interesting you say that because when we get to the predictions now, I've got Kudamatova making the quarterfinals of this event. I'll take the big serving of Kudermatova in these hot, fast conditions in Australia over the steady returning of Kasakina. I think Kudermatova gets to the quarterfinals, but like I said, as every inclination says, it's a Caroline Garcia coronation. The section, the, the instability of the seeds, the lack of not exceptional, other than Layla, unseeded players. You feel like this is where Garcia should thrive. For all of the reasons... And the fact that we haven't said her name once yet, I think this is where Nat Kontave gets to the semifinals. I watched her two first-round losses, 7-6 in the third to Jung Chin Wen, straight sets to Paul Bedosa. It was really good tennis. Like, Jung Chin Wen played great. Bedosa played great. Kontave played great. She just was on the losing end of those other matches. And I think the low expectations, plus the fact that the round of 16, Kontave Garcia, two players who, again, I'm not trusting that much in that stage of the event. I'll take Conteve in this moment just to be spicy. No expectations. This is where she thrives. Give me 16th seed in that Conteve to the semifinals over Kudermatova. I'm exhausted, ladies and gentlemen. We She played great in her first round losses. What happened at the end of her playing great? She did not win. It's true. It's. I mean, this is good for her i mean like it's i i don't know i mean this is the annette countivite problem is that she can play good tennis but is not winning the matches she really needs to win i mean dating back to i mean god love isla tomianovich but annette countivite should have been the player to put serena williams into retirement there was no reason for that to have gone the way that it went for her i mean as as difficult of a year as countivite had she was still a top two player someone who had the experience and had the momentum and just in terms of someone who'd been on court compared to Serena, who had not been really playing for much of the last two and a half years. I can't believe she lost that. Match. I mean, that's brutal. And she played well in that match and yet managed to not win play well when it really, really mattered. So, I mean, it's, I mean, certainly number 16 feels more appropriate for Contavite based on the way that she's played over the last year. I mean, when she was a top eight seed and underperforming, I mean, this is certainly a section for her to really get the job done. Not confident it happens here, but it's um, it's rougher because you go back to where she was a year ago and she was like a Clara Towson loss away from really being considered a, a favorite at that tournament. And since then, it just has not gone according to plan. So who are you going then? Fernandez over who? <laughs> Fernandez over Plushkova. I mean, that just really feels like a Lila Fernandez run where she beats Corday, beats Garcia, beats... Mm, I don't know. I mean, Townsend didn't look great at the beginning of the year, but I think played better in her second event. Yeah. Um, I could see like a surprise run from a Townsend. I mean, it's just hard to pick Contavite. I'm sorry. So, Um, I mean, like, Fernandez beats. 
or Fernandez beats, you know, maybe a Townsend and then gets, you know, a, on the run, gets, you know, out foxes a Pliskova in the quarterfinals. And Pliskova is going to be so mad when she loses that one. She'll be in that press conference talking about how Layla's got no game and how she made all the mistakes. I mean, it's going to be one of those classic salty pressers from Kaya. So I would hate to see it, but it would kind of be fun if it happens. But um, yeah, this is Layla's a, a big stage player unlike Contabite. So that's why I give her such ups over, uh, over an Annette in this situation. And I, and, but I mean, again, if, if Garcia can, can do it, she's got to do it now. I mean, this is again, the she is in the prime right now. She's a number four seed again, never thought she'd be a top four player again. And, you know, was in as good of a shot as anyone to make that U S open final, just, you know, really got unnerved. And if she can take the Fort Worth momentum into this tournament, this is a big potential moment for her, but not I have I have to wait to see it. I can't predict it until it happens. <laughs> Completely fair. Well, with that said, again, you're taking Fernandez over Pliskova. I have Conteve over Kudermatova. Last section, the toughest section, in my opinion, in the draw. Listen to these seeds, David Kane. Jabur, Savalenka, Benchich, Haddad Maya, Samsonova, Trevisan, Mertens, Kanepi. You also have Pavlochenkova, Georgie, Stevens. Potapova, Vandrusova, uh, and of course the always dangerous Garbine Muguruza. Who I might have said twice. Either way. Almost always dangerous Garbine Muguruza. Yeah, that was a joke. I'm glad you got it. I think this is the toughest section. I think everywhere you look, this quarter, seeds, unseeded players, everyone's just really good. And I think it's a really dense section. Again, Sabalenka comes in off a title run. Benchich just made the final. We're not sure. We're recording before that final plays out in Adelaide. Trevisan played the best tennis of her life last week at United Cup. Samsonova can get hot. Haddad Maya makes you work. Kanepi's got weapons. You'll never quit on Sloan Stevens. Vandrusova, according to the analytics, has been really good, a top 20 player whenever she's played over the course of the past two years. I love this section. What are your thoughts? It feels tough for everyone but Sabalenka. Like, it's sort of like the way that it shuffled out. It kind of feels like the perfect draw for her. I mean, she gets potential third round against Mertens, who she's had a lot of success against in the past. I'll believe Muguruza makes it to the third round when I see it. She's got Benchic, who will potentially be very tired and prone to being out hit. So that's, that's uh, you know, one that you would think that Sabalenka, if she's playing well enough to make the fourth round. The Benchic did just out hit Garcia, and I think she's very much a contender in this section, but carry on. Mm, Garcia, you know, not, not quite the same kind of hitter. And then also at a slam, again, we've seen sure. Benchic get out hit by Raducanu at a slam. So, I mean, the bar is low. Sure. Um and then and in the quarters, last year here, you know, you're right. Yeah, potentially, you know, a Hadad Maya, potentially a Jabor, potentially a Samsonova. I mean, you would like to see Samsonova really, you know, put it together at a slam after coming so close at the U.S. Open, not getting it done. And then Kaya Kanepi, sort of queen of the quarterfinal. You know, if it's a Kanepi Sabalenka quarterfinal, an, an opportunity for Sabalenka to avenge that uh, fourth round loss mm-hmm. or third round loss last year. No, fourth, fourth round. round. She beat Bondrus from the third. Um, Although she did already avenge it down a set in five one against Kanepi, that's, but never that's the right. Less. Court five. <laughs> that was a good one. Um, but it, but really, a, it would be a full circle moment after after playing so terribly in Australia last year to get her again, and then beat her would be a, a huge moment for her. I'm just. 
very impressed by the fact that Sabalenka started the year really playing that Fort Worth. She is someone who seems to have benefited from the lack of a break and didn't have to like really reset and start from zero. If she can ride this momentum to the Australian open title, that would be great. I, you know, again, I'll believe it when I see it, but I certainly have the most confidence in her. Cause this is, this feels like the most together she has been on the eve of a slam, maybe since the 2018 us open. I mean, I feel like every other time heading into a slam, there was always a big question mark for whatever reason. And this feels like potentially her moment so we will see yeah so your skepticism of belinda benchich we did a whole podcast on that in december obviously i have a lot of benchich stock heading into this season i continue to believe in that stock someone's got to own it yeah she her ability to play on her front foot she's top five server on the wta tour look at the results this week how she out hit garcia how definitive she is at taking the ball early i think she's moving just a top five server Yeah, she's top five server on the WTA Tour. Top five in hold percentage over the course of the last at last two years, to be honest. Yeah. R.I.P. women's tennis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Strikes the ball really cleanly, obviously, on the backhand wing. When she has time on the forehand, she explodes through it. But where's your Jabir doubt? Now, she was a little injured, obviously, at the end of her match in Adelaide 1. She did make two slam finals last year. She's the number two seed. You look at her draw at this event. She's going to take on Zidantic first, a very dangerous Von Drusova or Risk, who, by the way, that's one of my favorite first-round matches. We'll get there in a second. But where are you with the second seed, Jabur, entering this slam? Well, I mean, I feel like I've seen – I've talked about this before, but I've seen this movie already, and it starred Vera Zvonareva, someone who made back-to-back uh, Grand Slam finals – didn't really get close to winning either of them in, in a meaningful way. Obviously did win a set against Rabakina at Wimbledon, went to the WTA finals and was not good. I mean, in, in some ways worse than Pagula because Pagula and Goff both just got, really didn't show up to any of their matches, whereas Jabor should have beaten Sabalenka, didn't, only had to win a set to knock Sabalenka out of contention at the, the WTA finals and gets just blitzed by Sakari in a match that Sakari was for her, it was a dead rubber match and didn't have to show up and just really felt overawed by the occasion. And then is coming into this draw where she, like you said, she gets potential first round against uh, not a potential, a definite first round against Sedanchik, potentially a risk or a Von Drusova, a Linda Fervatova, a Kaya Kanepi. This feels like a very tricky section for her. And then even if she makes it through those, those, then she potentially gets, uh, Ludmilla Samsonova, Beatrice Maya, even a Sloane Stevens. I mean, these are players who I think, you know, we're going to potentially see the start seeing the cracks in the Ons Shabor game. It feels like it's going to happen now. And if she, you know, she has a great run here and, and continues to be consistent, then the narrative shifts. And then she's someone who I think is then legitimately, I don't want to say legitimately, because I don't want to con- throw legitimacy into the debate, but like I, she was very much a serious contender for like she renews her card you know for all intents and purposes like it's it's about to expire and if she t- starts to take like bad losses at these slams then you start to reevaluate her as a world number two and in, in sort of name only in much the same way that we did in Annette Contavite so I think this is a big make or break moment for her it's a make or break moment for Garcia where you feel like you did a lot last year and now here's your chance to prove it Garcia's got a easier slash harder draw because she's got Fernandez but I think for Jabor She's going to have to really hit the ground running. And, you know, I don't, I don't know how she, how she pulls it off because she had to overcome a lot of mental disappointments, a lot of tough disappointments at Wimbledon, at the U S open, at the WTA finals. And now it's at another big tournament and is going to be expected to win and do really well and 
how does she handle that? She's not going, she doesn't have to, she doesn't have typical patterns to rely on. It's all up here. It's all just, you know, joie de vivre and improv. And that doesn't always carry you through uh, to long-term success. She'd be the first one to buck that trend. Certainly if anyone could do it, it's her, but yeah, it's, this will be interesting. Yeah. It was fascinating in her loss to Noskova was how Noskova's power really did overwhelm her over time. And again, you look at the players in the section, Sabalenka, Benchich, Samsonova, there's a like Kanepi even, there's a lot of power in this section. And so I agree, it's tough looking at her prospects. But look, a lot of fun matches, no doubt, in this portion of the draw. You look at the first rounders, I have circled, you know, Mertens versus Muguruza is the battle of who the fuck knows. Sorry, shouldn't have sworn. It's not going to get it edited out. I apologize, fans. But who knows what that match is going to look like. Two players, you're never quite sure. Obviously, Mertens' third round is usually a certainty at the slams. We'll see uh, if that's the case with that first rounder. Von Drusova, who, again, I really do think is a dark horse candidate for success. If she gets rocking and rolling against Ali Risk, I'm going to pick her to beat Own Jabur in the next round. That's how good I feel about the lefty. Pavlochenkova, Georgie, did you get vaccinated or not? What's going on in that match? Who knows? Lou Brangle, a fun one, All-American battle. I think Sabalenka, it's a good litmus test for her early against Martin Sova because Martin Sova has some weapons. And again, she'll just she'll she'll test Sabalenka and punish any lapses in concentration. But let's be clear. I know David Kane and I know in his heart the number one first round in this section of the draw is Stevens versus Potapova. Potapova, who was one of the few players to get renewed for a Nike deal over yeah. a Sloan Stevens. I mean, if you're sitting there at the Nike desk and you're not me and you're picking between Stevens <laughs> and Potapova, <laughs> who do you renew? I feel like you renew Sloan Stevens. And yet they're going in on Potapova. They even made a custom shoe to celebrate her her win in Istanbul. I was like, do I work for Nike? Like, <laughs> did I design a pair of shoes and like don't remember it? Because it just seemed like a lot of um a lot of gravitas given to Team Potapova in light of, you know, a good year. But if I were to pick, in light of some of the players who Nike dropped, I'm surpri- I'm pleasantly surprised she was not one of them. They certainly seem to think that she has a future. And if she really does have a future, a win over Sloan Stevens in her current condition has never performed that great in Australia since making the semifinals. That, that's one where you feel like she's got to she's got to win that one and potentially push Haddad Maya in the second round, if not beat her. You know, this she's someone who made the third round at the Australian Open a couple of years ago, played a really great match against Serena. You know, it could really be a big one for her. Um, and I hopefully it is. Stevens is 70, uh, 57.5% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. You look for Potapova, three losses for her this season. Straight sets to Noskova, final round qualifying, first week Adelaide. That's aged fine. 7 6 in the third to Chin Wen in qualifying is Adelaide 2. Again, that's fine. Had to retire in her lucky loser match against Sinyakva. So you throw that one out. And yeah, that match hurt both of them. Chin yeah. Wen, I think, retired from her match as well. It was really so just the, like... the point is, I read nothing into those losses. Those are good losses for Potapova to start the season. Sloan's had two bad losses to start the season in Hobart. Now, the Masterova one aged better in Auckland, but if you watch that match, she looked lost. Yeah, Potapova should win that match. Like, I agree. I think that's a really fun first rounder. But again, I think you got six good options to choose from, even if it's Lou Brangle, like, or even if it's the mess that's guaranteed to be Mertens Muguruza. I like all the first rounders, and I like them because it'll give us a good litmus test for how we think some of these dark horses might perform. Like, I brought up the Von Drusova thing there in passing. Don't you think she could beat Owens? Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I was, in fact, I was joking about that. If she outdrops up. If she outdrops shots to more <laughs> at a slam, that would 
it wouldn't be funny, but it would be. Funny. It would be that good. <laughs> the real like, ones will know. The real ones. Yeah, the will real know. heads know. Like the OG drop shotter. It That's was not Angebor. It was Marketa von Drusva. I also want to give a shout out to Vekic Selikmedova, purely from a sartorial perspective, because Donna has recently launched her own uh, line, Donna Sport, in in collaboration with Womo Sport, who famously represent Jensen Brooksby, and Donna has promised me and a this surprise. podcast once upon a time. But carry on. Yeah, and has promised me a surprising outfit for this Australian Open. She was worn separates through the United Cup in her in her first couple of matches, and she's promised me something new, and she refused to show the pictures until she ends up on court. So the story is going to be out this weekend, but the uh, the dress doesn't make its debut, or the outfit, rather, doesn't make its debut until she plays Selic Medeva. And I would imagine Vekic makes it through, so we'll probably see a couple of matches with her in La Donna Sport. That's good. I like it. No, I, I agree. I think she's won. Where are you with Pavlochenkova? Too soon, right? Too soon. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a shame because she's played so well in Australia in the past and she did get a good week in doubles with Rabakina, but um, I mean, to get Georgie, a player is going to give her no rhythm. I mean, if she can win that match, then potentially could get a tired Travis uh, on in the second round. Maybe something happens. I mean, she's certainly in good shape, but I think someone like Pavlyuchenkova needs reps and really realistically hasn't played and almost, you know, didn't really play much last year and, so it's 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 going to be rough for her to really try to hit the ground running because otherwise it's not a not a not a terrible section for for the Russian unfortunately. Seed perspective: If this event was played in October, Samsonova might be my favorite to advance out of the section. She's got Haddad, Maya, Jabur as the seeds, Potapova, Stevens, Linda Fruvertova, Van Drusseval lingering as dangerous unseeded players. You look for Samsonova, three set law or straight set loss, but she was up five one in the first to Sabalenka and Adelaide. She also loses straight sets to Anisa Mova. Where are you with Samsonova? Is she a dark horse to maybe make a semifinal run, or have you cooled a little bit? Mm, I mean, I think she's going to be one of those quarterfinal, semifinal players that we're gonna watch, at least for at least on hard courts and even, you know, even on grass for the next couple of months. I don't think she's performed so terribly as to lower expectations significantly. I mean, she did have a really good end to 2022 when the, won the title in Tokyo, um, you know, gets Haddad Maya as her project as her projected seed. I mean, this is, it's like, we're, you know, we're, we're on the list now of like moments, you know, it didn't happen when she made the fourth round of Wimbledon a year ago. It didn't happen when she made the fourth round of the U S open last year. You know, this is another moment, you know, and you're only going to get so many of these as as a prospective top player. And so it'll be brutal for her if she doesn't. And she's got a decent shot at it here. So I, I certainly am moderate to high on Samsonova's chances. And certainly if she makes it, you know, then you start to look at her as being one of those players to do it fairly consistently because she's consistently because she's got such stellar technique. Yeah, uh, well said. And, uh, you know, again, I think she has to be a dark horse, at least by my connotation on the, in this section. Even Haddad Maya, again, how solid she is. I think she's a really tough out, and the lefty finds the angles well. She can generate easy pace with her serve with her first forehand, but she's also a good mover, especially for someone her size, good strength. With that said, Americans in this section, not the strongest, but let's stay consistent with our theme here. Rogers, Davis, uh, Claire Louvers, Madison Brangle, Stevens, Aldi Risk. Anyone into the third round? Of the Americans? Yeah. Uh, I mean. You can say anyone no. Could, I mean, I could see Shelby Rogers somehow, you know, thwarting my Arena Sabalenka dream. And, sure. uh, 
<laughs> and making it to the second week. Um, but I would not be super confident in a Davis, a Liu, a Brangle, a Sloan, maybe an Alley Risk. I don't, I feel like I haven't seen her play in a while, so I'm not uber confident in her um, abilities to make it deep here. And it is not Wimbledon, as we know. So, yeah, I think this is not going to be one of the American heavy sections, but maybe maybe we'll see what Shelby could do against Serena in, the, in, in a potential second round. Well, then with that said, DK, your prediction, who advances out of this final section? Oh, why not? I'll say Sabalenka beats Potapova in the quarterfinals. Wow. Everyone hold him to this if he's We're in the wrong. fourth quarter. We're having fun. We're having yeah. fun. Yeah, we're in the fourth quarter. Nike, Nike beats Nike. All right. Well, then here we go. David Kane, your semifinals as we make our final predictions here to round out the draw and just to recap where things stand in yeah, DK's please. semifinals. Yeah, because he won't. Who remember. remembers? I was making yeah. a lot of predictions. He's got Iga taking on Krachikova. He's got Sabalenka taking on Fernandez. DK, I start with you. Semifinals, finals, champion, who you got? I would say Iga beats Krechkova, and I would say Sabalenka avenges the U.S. Open loss and beats Fernandez in the semis. And then I pick Sabalenka to win the title. Yay! On a scale of (laughs) 1 to 10, how confident are you versus how entertaining are you trying to be? I mean, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I did pick her to win the title uh, on Tennis.com, so I I do have some some momentum and some uh, integrity writing on this one. I mean, it's just to say it sounds crazy. I mean, certainly to say that it's going to be a – I mean, it would be the ultimate fairy tale for Sabalink to beat Fernandez and then beat uh, Iga in the final after, you know, those those two being the – two of the uh, big bugbears in, in Arena's career over the last couple of years. I mean, maybe I feel like I need to revisit that uh, Layla Fernandez semifinal pick, but the other three seem very, you know, eminently plausible based on recent trends and momentum. So it doesn't seem totally crazy, but also given the fact that women's tennis has been such a cluster in the last 18 months, I feel like I didn't really pick that many shockers you know it could be a Niemeyer Krejcikova and you know, it could be a uh, you know it could be a, a whole slew of things but at least from in the world of logic and looking at this draw as reasonably as possible it's a pretty decent semifinal lineup if I do say so myself no I think it's a very fun one again Conteve was my inclusion to try and make things funky because I just don't have enough funk I have three top five seeds in the semifinals. And if the history of the WTA tour says anything, it says that that is not going to be the case. Here's my thing though. You have Sabalenka over Iga. I'm just afraid. I tell myself this and you know, if there's a time machine, you always think to yourself, what would you do to go back in time to make money for yourself? And one of the things I like to think I would tell myself if I go back in time, 15 years is just be like, Alex bet on every Novak Djokovic to win a grand slam over the next 15 years. And you will end up with a very good record. And anytime you have plus odds, you will capitalize. And right now, Iga Sviantek is plus 240. That's just wrong. Because again, I just can't visualize anyone else capturing the trophy. I think Sabalenka could come really close. And ultimately, I have her beating Conteve, Iga beating Pagula, and Iga beating Sabalenka in the final. But I need to see Sabalenka play that sixth good match consecutively get over that semifinal hump get to the finals before I can believe it and then even then I think I need to see her get past the semifinals as well once I think she's going to need maybe two three reps in the finals which I think she could get to multiple slam finals this year she could absolutely be this year's Jabur but I need to see it first before I'm willing to bet on it I'll take Sabalenka to get to the final I'll take Iga to win slam number four I don't feel great about it, 
but I feel pretty good. Final thoughts go to you, DK. Well, first of all, that was some betting sorcery that you threw in there, and I don't believe it. I don't have to respond to it, but I will anyway. I will say that I just think that when we look back on the Sabalenka trajectory, when she gets over the hump, which in this case would be making the semifinals, she actually plays the next match pretty good. I mean, she played that quarterfinal. Uh, she about finally made the the, four, the quarterfinals of Wimbledon two years ago and then played a really great quarterfinal against Shabor. I think maybe the momentum and just sort of the relief of finally being in a slam final against a player that she respects and knows that she's going to have to play well against. So she's not going to relax in a way that like she plays terribly. It's sort of the perfect storm, I think, for a Sabalenka. And based on the way that she was able to beat her in, in Fort Worth, I don't feel as confident in Iga's dominance. The fact that she'll just show up in a final. And obviously that spell has been broken a little bit thanks to Krejcikova through a chink in that armor there. So I do think that it could potentially all, like, again, even looking at that draw, it's a tough draw, but maybe not for Sabalenka specifically. For everyone else, it's a pretty tough draw. So I think things might just be, falling into place for Sabalenka. And she's someone who, again, I, we've been very conservative in terms of, I'll believe it when I see it, but Sabalenka has such talent and has such physical gifts, technical gifts, tactical gifts, and is someone who has worked so unbelievably hard to be better than she is every year that it, gosh, if it doesn't happen now, it's going to be really brutal for me specifically if she doesn't. I mean, I'm sure it'll suck for her, but like for me, I'll be like really crushed if she doesn't get it done here. I fundamentally reject the assertion that we've been conservative with our Sabalenka talk because you and I have been- Other players. I was saying like with Garcia, I'll believe it when I see it. Shabur, I'll believe it when Uh... I see it. But for Sabalenka, I just, we're really very confident in her. And as we have been over the years, I think everyone else, it's like, well- Might be some smoke and mirrors there. Very well said. Well, with all that in mind, David Kane, tell us your plans for the for the Australian Open. What do we get to see from you over the course of the next two weeks? I will be sleeping. No, I'm kidding. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be up (laughs) every day, every night for the next two weeks. Uh shout out to my colleague Stephanie Livaday, who'll be covering all the night shifts, which start at 3 30 in the morning. But she's got she has a life unlike me and she wants her evenings free. And so I said, by all means, take the 3.30 a.m. shifts. I'll be working from from 7 to 3 myself, um, starting starting off with a bit of a bang with that Donna Vekic story. And then it's going to be an interesting one because this is going to be the first Australian Open in three years that won't have any Zoom presser access. We've definitely had – we've been very spoiled over the last couple of years in terms of getting one-on-ones and, and press conference – immediate press conference access asking questions in these pressers not going to have it this year unfortunately just a shame that that's uh that that part of the COVID era is ending unfortunately but i'm definitely going to be covering as much as i possibly can and manning the baseline deck for any kind of kooky spooky moments and if you see any definitely let me know because there's obviously gonna be a lot going on in the first couple days of the tournament i can't catch everything so if you see something even if it's obvious send me a tweet at dk tenants and say hey did you catch that on court seven that was pretty wild and i'll say that's five. That's a five hundred word post for you. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be an interesting one. I'm gonna probably be pretty punchy at the end of the two weeks, but probably not as bad as you because I feel like you're just gonna be watching. Not like I feel like tomorrow's gonna be your last day of sleep. You'll just be awake until <laughs> until the end of the, until Super Bowl Sunday. That's the plan. I'm thinking about not shaving and just growing an Australian open beard, but we'll see what the tennis gods decide for me. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. 
I look forward to reading it all. Hopefully we'll have you on this show at least once during the course of the Australian Open to talk about everything that unfolds. But again, at DKTNNS, if you want to follow him on social media, of course. That concludes our women's draw preview. We'll still have a men's draw preview to come for all of you listeners on Saturday. Of course, a shout out to super producer Daniel Westoff, even when he's not here. His absence. He doesn't get a shout out today. He didn't, he didn't do anything. No, but his absence <laughs> is always felt and his presence. No, I, mean, I felt it. Yeah, exactly. So shout out to Westoff. With all that said, for the fantastic David Kane, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. DK, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you, DK. Das Vidanya.